Hello and welcome to Food Systems, a podcast from the Forum for the Future of Agriculture, where we discuss new ideas that can shape a sustainable food system from farm to fork, from policy to consumers, and everything in between. I'm your host, Robert Agraf, and you can find us on Twitter at Forum for Ag. These episodes will be available every other week on all major podcast platforms. Before we get started, we'd like to say a quick thank you to the FFA founding partners, the European Landowners Organization and Syngenta, as well as the FFA strategic partners, Cargill, The Nature Conservancy, Rabobank, Thought for Food, and the World Wildlife Fund. Please enjoy this episode. Hello and Happy New Year. Welcome back to Food Systems. It's a new year and we're very proud to be joined by Philip Limbury. He is the Global Chief Executive of the leading international farm animal welfare organization, Compassion in World Farming. He is also a visiting professor at the University of Winchester and president of the Eurogroup for Animals in Brussels. Philip, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Robert, it's a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Um, first off, Happy New Year. I had a question regarding the New Year. Will you be participating in Veganuary? H- Happy New Year, Robert. Yes, um, I'm actually uh, a vegan. So, uh, you know, ve- Veganuary, it's, uh, it's not just for January, it's for February, March and every other month too, as far as I'm concerned. But, uh, you know, Compassion in World Farming is a broad church organisation. Um, you know, we, we welcome um, anyone and everyone, uh, regardless of their dietary persuasion. Uh, and our mission, Robert, is to end factory farming, which we see as the biggest cause of animal cruelty on the planet, a major driver of wildlife declines worldwide. uh, And uh, the big thing that needs to change if we are to head off the multiple crises that are now facing humanity, climate, nature collapse and health. Well, let's start then with with health and and probably the most immediate crisis that we're facing. You are, as we're speaking, uh, both of us are in, in different forms of lockdown due to the resurgent corona. Um, You've written some recent pieces about the link between um, the coronavirus, its spread, and uh, increasing meat consumption around the world. I was wondering if you could expand on that a little bit for our listeners. Absolutely. The the conclusion that I'm drawing is that it's now generally accepted that COVID-19 began in uh, in bats uh, and, and through an intermediate intermediary then uh, mutated uh, into something that it could infect humans uh, and that the likely uh, mixing point if you like the touch point was uh, a, a, a wet market a wildlife meat market in Wuhan China what that draws attention to is the fact that three out of four new diseases are zoonotic they're emerging uh, in humans from animals and that with intensive agriculture with factory farming what we have is a massive mixing vessel for viruses a a hothouse if you like for new and more dangerous viruses so it's not so much that factory farming is responsible for COVID-19 it is not it is that the next pandemic and the one after that uh, could well come from incarcerated animals and is this a bit far-fetched well we only have to go back a decade to look at swine flu which emanated from uh, intensive farms, pig farms in, in the Americas, in North America, in Mexico, 
and went on to infect people all around the world, killing somewhere in the region of half a million people. So the, my message really is that if we want to protect people going forward, we have to protect animals too. The two are symbiotic. One health, one welfare. There is a possibility for exponential increase through an intensive livestock uh, farming system, but the, orig the originality seems to derive more from still animals out out in the in the wild. So is it is it the type of farming we do, or is it rather that we keep pushing further and further into the remaining zones of wildlife, such as the Amazon, uh, other places that we sort of awaken these viruses? So is it? Is it animal farming or is it our desire to, to increase the agricultural area rather that seems to be creating our contact, possible contact with these diseases? The reality is that it's both factory farms, animals cage cramped and confined in their thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even up to a million animals in, in one, uh, one site. That is the perfect breeding ground for new and dangerous diseases. At the same time, our global appetite for more and more meat, which is hugely resource intensive, is meaning that agriculture is pushing further and further into the world's remaining wildlands, shaking free wildlife and, and their virus viruses uh, and leaving those viruses looking for new hosts and that is how these things can can attach themselves can infect uh, humans and cause uh, the next pandemic you know, if anyone is in any, any doubt of just how planet hungry our uh, appetite for meat is uh, just think of this half the habitable land surface of the planet is used to grow our food of that, more than 80%, more than four-fifths, is devoted to producing animal products. And as that appetite grows, it pushes into those remaining forests, the Amazon, Cerrado, uh, the, the, the local woodland near to home in Britain or Switzerland or Belgium. These are really serious effects that mean that what we are doing is not only jeopardising our health today, but our life support system, the natural world tomorrow. So how should we produce environmentally friendly, ethically produced meat, uh, both from a production standpoint, but also does that work for both the farmer and the consumer? Because if it, if it means very high prices for meat, then that's society, societies seem to have difficulty accepting that. Factory farming is, is, is not only the biggest cause of animal cruelty on the planet, it is also the driver of lost livelihoods in the farming community. One has only got to look at Poland, for example, where you know, the plan coming into the EU, the EU uh, central plan, was to drive small farmers off of the land and replace them with big industrial agricultural units uh, that would need far fewer people to attend to them. So a real loss of livelihoods. And at the same time, um, we, we've gotten into this psyche that somehow factory farming means cheap food. Well, actually, it doesn't because it's working in a distorted marketplace. Factory farmed meat, cheap 
so-called cheap meat is something we pay for three times. The first time at the checkout, the second through our uh, tax euros, our tax pounds in terms of agricultural subsidies. Remember that most of the of Europe's uh, um, central budget goes towards subsidising agriculture. And the third and perhaps even biggest cost to all of us is in the cleanup cost to our health and to the environment. So it really is uh, a false economy to continue down the route of intensification uh, and thinking that you know, we get something for nothing or near to nothing. We don't. We pay a very heavy price. In your book, Farmageddon, um, you describe among sort of the problems of, of this system, as you've laid them out, also uh, solutions. And one of them that you advocate for quite strongly is a more mixed farm approach, where there are some animals, some crops, there is more feeding of the animals with the waste of the plants and then leftovers, that kind of thing. How does that become much more of a reality? Because both in Europe, as you've just described, the common agricultural policy seems... Unable to adapt very rapidly. Let me put it that way. Um, do you see more hope now that the UK that the Brexit has been? There's a new farm bill. H- how do we get to this mixed farm that that you suggest? It has to be led by policymakers. It needs to be uh, top-down leadership demanded by people saying we want a better way. You're absolutely right. The common agricultural policy in Europe has been a disaster in terms of keeping people on the land, in terms of farming livelihoods, in terms of looking after the environment, in terms of looking after animal welfare. It's driven intensification. That wasn't the purpose. It's the unintended consequence. It is where we are. So how do we find a better way? Well, in the UK, in in post-Brexit Britain, Uh, The agriculture bill is uh, reapportioning subsidies so that uh, tax money, uh, tax support for farming is on the basis largely of public money for public goods. So if you farm in an environmentally friendly way or in a way which looks after animal welfare, then you, you qualify for more subsidy support. And that seems to me to be a very good thing. Coupled with that, we're seeing uh, really encouraging signs now within the European Union, not at the common agricultural policy level, but in the European Commission's farm to fork strategy, which is setting ambitious targets to reduce pesticide use by 50%, to reduce antibiotic use by 50%, to increase the the amount of land under organic farming by 25%, as well as overhauling our tired animal welfare uh, policies in Europe. What this means is if you put all that together, it signals a move towards a post-industrial agricultural era. And I think a real key to that, coming back to the nub of your question, what what actually is the solution? Well, to my mind, the solution is is for us to rely less heavily on meat and other animal products, to be producing and eating less but better meat, getting animals back on the land, far fewer of them, in mixed regenerative farms where uh, the, the farming scenario is putting back into nature's capital. So restoring soils, retaining water, Uh, encouraging thriving communities of bees, 
bees, butterflies, birds and other biodiversity that is so needed if generations of people in Europe tomorrow are to have a future. And what this also means is that we put animals, farmed animals, back into their ecological niche as rotational grazing and foraging uh, creatures. This way, we deliver the, the potential for the very best animal welfare and better quality food in an enhanced environment that will be future fit, climate fit and healthy fit. On the other hand, there doesn't seem to be a bit among the broad populace a big appetite for seriously reducing meat consumption and certainly even less for paying much more at, at, at the supermarket till. Now, as you say, yes, you do also pay for it in tax and you pay for it in the cleanup, but most people just pay their taxes. They don't think, oh, okay, my X percent of that goes to the to livestock farming via the back door. So I, how do you get the public to come along this journey with you? I think a big part of this is that governments and corporations have to lead. They need to implement policies that encourage uh, that encourage a reduction in 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 meat consumption and increase in uh, in alter, in the consumption of alternative foods, more planet friendly, health friendly foods. And one of the ways that governments can do that is by taxing factory farmed meat. A tax which doesn't hit the poor, where uh, the, 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 the bad stuff, factory farmed meat, is more expensive. But that, that those tax monies are used to offset healthy food. So healthier food produced in uh, more animal welfare friendly, environmentally friendly ways are actually subsidised by the, the revenues produced elsewhere. And in this way, uh, we, we encourage people to eat better. But I think that really there are encouraging signs. The the embrace of things like veganuary, uh, the mainstreaming of the con of the concept of of needing to eat um, less and better meat. These are really encouraging signs. And then on top of that, we've got new innovations. Only last month we saw the very first sale of cultured meat, meat from what people have described as lab lab meat, stem cell meat. Uh, and this is meat without animals. Essentially, the, the, the cells are harvested by harmless biopsy and grown in a bioreactor, which is great news for animals and the planet. I want to get back to the cultured meat story in a little while because I do agree with you that that is a fascinating part. However, I want to go a little bit back to what we were just talking about. Um, again, in your book, Farmageddon, you also say that apart from policies that push better quality farms, uh, that, that consumers also have a large role to play with their behavior and, and making making better or more sustainable choices. Uh, you call it consumer power. However, uh, previous guests on the podcast, uh, Brent Loken from WWF and Lawrence Haddad from the Gain Alliance, have both argued, and I would agree with them, that the, the actual power that a consumer has is actually very limited. Um, there's a The supermarket essentially, for the most part, decides what choices they can pick from. Uh, there's advertising, and certainly the factory farmed stuff today is much cheaper. So how, how can consumers really engage with this system in a way that transforms it and, and breaks them free of those bonds? 
Well, my message is that we can all play a part three times a day through our food choices by eating more plants and less and better meat and milk uh, and eggs. And by better, I mean choosing free range, pasture fed, organic meat, milk and, and eggs. This is the but those way are to... more expensive, just they do tend to be much more expensive. They do tend to, to have a higher price tag, but the key thing is that what we also need is people to get involved in the movement for change. So joining Compassion in World Farming, to put pressure on companies, on governments, to create the policy environment for a new food revolution. That's how we can bring about change. Compassion in World Farming is engaging with corporations and saying you need to set measurable and meaningful targets for the reduction of meat and other livestock products that you're selling. Likewise, we want governments to introduce measures that make it easier for people to eat planet healthy uh, diets. Uh, and by that, one of the measures that I foresee is a tax on factory farmed meat and milk that offsets the cost of um, meat and dairy from pasture fed, free range or organic. This, these are the ways forward. So we, we can all play our part three times a day with the food choices that we make. We can also uh, join the movement to press governments, to press corporations for change. I'm always worried when I hear that you know, people don't have a role to play. That's so disempowering. Actually, there is power in unity, being part of that movement, the Compassion in World Farming movement for change. Um, let's talk a bit about a very different style of production. Um, Singapore has just licensed the first lab-grown chicken meat for domestic consumption, so that will be available in a food store in Singapore relatively soon. Um, how do you see this type of lab-grown cultured meat versus meat, what is much more prevalent, meat alternatives, uh, impossible burgers, soy-based burgers, there's a whole development there as well. I mean, I would like you to pick one of the two. Would you? Do you have preference for the cultured stuff or for the alternative uh, plant-based stuff it's hard to choose i would bundle them all together the plant-based meat alternatives and cultured meat uh, and meat from precision precision fermentation um, where specific molecules are produced in uh, in a fermentation tank i would bundle these up as modern foods as the way forward i think the exciting game-changing innovation is cultured meat uh, on the 19th of December uh, last year, the very first sale globally of cultured meat to the public went ahead uh, in Singapore, uh, where breaded chicken bites from a bioreactor were served up in uh, styles which emulated those from Brazil, from China and from America. The reason for that is that these were ch cultured chicken bites and, and, and the symbolism was that China, Brazil and the US produced more chickens than anywhere in the world. The great thing about these chicken bites from a bioreactor is that no chicken died. In producing those products, not only are they supremely animal friendly, they also use a fraction of the amount of land and they produce a fraction of the greenhouse gases emissions uh, that, that would be associated with uh, meat and dairy produced 
on a farm. All of which is good news. And from my point of view, there is there are now more vegans and vegetarians than than ever before. Certainly, that that's how um, things are going. There's a greater acceptance of the need to reduce meat and dairy consumption. But paradoxically, meat consumption, the trend statistics globally are on the up. People are eating more meat now than ever before. We don't have much time. Scientists tell us we've got 10 years to solve climate change. They tell us that we've got, you know, at best 50, 60 years in the world's soils if we carry on factory farming in the way that we are now. So we need a game changer and we need it quick. And for my money, cultured meat swapping a deeply cruel and damaging way of producing meat in the main for a benign way that comes from a bioreactor rather than a factory farm. This is the game changer, swapping a global habit for a habit, uh, a damaging version into a benign planet-friendly version. That's the way forward. During this uh, conversation, you've mentioned a number of times, uh, uh, you use it quite frequently actually, the, the term factory farming. Now, I've heard that term used many, if not thousands of times in, in, in my occupation, I want, but I've never seen it properly defined. What, what, what do you define as factory farming? In a postage stamp definition, I would define factory farming as the grain feeding of confined animals, essentially animals that are caged, crammed and confined and fed human edible uh, foodstuffs like um, cereals uh, and, and, and soya. Now, I realise in, in, in the absolute definition, soya isn't quite a grain, it's an oil seed. But you, you, the, in, in what we're talking about here is the, the feeding of hard seeds uh, to confined animals, be they battery chickens or pigs that are crated or cattle in a feedlot. And this is a really serious human issue. It's not only the biggest issue of animal cruelty on the planet, but also in that transaction. We put animals into small, stinky spaces, frankly, um, which looks like a space-saving idea, but actually isn't, because then we have to grow their feed elsewhere on a prime arable land, be it cereals in Europe or soya in uh, in the Amazon. And the trouble with that is that we then take those um, cereals and soya, feed them to the animals. The animals waste the vast majority of the food value in conversion to meat, milk and eggs. And in this transaction, if you were to aggregate it, um, what we are actually losing globally, we're wasting enough food every year to feed an extra 4 billion people on the planet. It makes no sense at all. Well, let's talk about those 4 extra billion people. One of the statistics that is bruited about um, extensively is the uh, the 10 billion people by 2050. Now, in this year as well, we will have the uh, UN Food System Summit that will, ten, that will attempt to package a lot of the, the things that we've just talked about and sort of help the world create a more sustainable food system. It's sort of a Paris Accord, but for the food system. Looking ahead, what do you hope comes out of this UN food system and how does it translate into reality? What I'd like to see from the UN Food Systems Summit is an agreement, a global agreement to move away from industrial agriculture and high meat 
reliant diets to a new vision for food and farming, uh, one which is based on regenerative forms of farming and one which is based on planet healthy diets that are uh, you know, less dependent on meat, that the, the meat and dairy within them comes from animals that are kept on the land, pasture fed, organic, free range, regenerative, uh, and also encouraging of these new technologies, uh, plant-based alternatives, cultured meat, uh, uh, meat-like substances from fermentation too. That is what I'd like to see coming out of it. And I come back to the point I made earlier that time is running out. It's fine to prevaricate uh, around the Paris Agreement, but the world continues to heat up. If we get to two degrees, what we trigger are large scale and irreversible changes to the planet, uh, which will see not only coral reefs disappear, but also sea levels rising by up to seven metres, which means that there are going to be an awful lot of towns, cities and agricultural land in low lying areas flooded and gone. There are going to be millions, tens of millions of people on the move and biodiversity will shrink and at an astonishing rate up to a third of species at two degrees uh, would disappear what that means is that we are stepping very quickly into a world where our planet may no longer be able to sustain human society as we know it we're coming up on the end of the podcast, and I want to ask you the, the last question, which is the one that we ask everybody that comes on, which is, um, if you could suggest one policy or one idea, uh, as specific as possible, that would make for a more sustainable food system, what would it be? End factory farming. End the grain feeding of confined animals. Get those animals back on the land. Far fewer of them. Uh, have them part of living ecosystems that are putting back into nature's capital, replenishing soils, retaining water and bringing back biodiversity whilst producing wonderful, nutritious food. That is the way forward for a decent future for animals, for the planet and for our children. Philip Limbury, CEO of Compassion in World Farming, thank you very much for joining Food Systems today and once again, Happy New Year. A real pleasure. Thank you and Happy New Year to you. You've been listening to an episode of Food Systems, a podcast brought to you by the Forum for the Future of Agriculture. Look for us in two weeks when we release our new episode. And in the meantime, please don't forget to subscribe on your podcast app as well as on Twitter, at Forum Fag, for updates on this podcast, news, as well as FFA events. Please check out our website, www.forumforagriculture.com, for more great content. Thank you for listening and enjoy your day.